All right, this morning, if you have a Bible electronic device out, I'll encourage you to turn with me in the, to the book of John. We're going to be in John chapter 1 this morning. And as you turn to John chapter 1, we are, I'm sure you're aware that we are in the Christmas season. Uh, I think now in our culture, Christmas is even coming before Thanksgiving. It used to be when I was a kid, you didn't start celebrating Christmas until after you ate the turkey. The turkey was done and then Christmas came. Now it's like Christmas comes right on the heels of Halloween and I don't understand all that, but we're deeply in the midst of the Christmas season. And in the Christmas season, we know that there are a lot of things that are familiar Right? You go to the Christmas parties and you go shopping and you do this and there's Christmas songs and there's decorations and there's traditions. And in this season of a lot of familiarity, there also comes a lot of busyness. And it's easy for us in this season to get so busy and to get so familiar that we forget about the history-altering, heaven-shaking, eternal importance of Christmas. It's possible for us to miss it. It's possible for us to go through the motions and miss the deep importance of why we really celebrate Christmas. So as we enter into the Christmas season, during our time together, these next four weeks, I want us, as we go back to the Christmas story and we see and walk through a story, passages of scripture that we've been familiar with, maybe you've heard it a million times, I pray that God gives us fresh eyes to see what God is at work doing, the eternal importance of what God is doing in Christ coming to earth on Christmas. May the Lord remove the calluses from their ears. May he remove the callus from our minds and from our hearts to be able to hear and to see and encounter Christ once again. For some of you, my prayer is that you would receive or you would encounter Christ for the first time. For others, my my prayer for us as we enter in this season is that we would encounter Christ in a fresh way. Maybe see him in a new way. Maybe, many of you I know have been walking with the Lord for many, many years. And you've come through Christmas seasons and they've come and they've gone. But I pray this year we each see Christ in a new way. And this morning I want us to begin by looking back to the Old Testament. What we find tucked, almost hidden on the pages of scripture is this prophecy that comes through the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah says this, he says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, that prophecy itself is couched in in a longer uh, conversation that Isaiah is having and he's encountering the cultural context of the day. But in there we see a beautiful promise that the first hearers of this prophecy would have halted in their steps and they would have perked up their ears to the point of where they would have said, wait, wait, what? Wait, wait, say that again. What did you just say? Let me read it to you again. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. That's a verse that you and I have heard probably over and over and over again. But let's go back back to see how the first hearers of that prophecy would have received it. 
Behold, a virgin shall conceive a son. That should cause you to go, wait, wait. That's not how this works, right? Virgins do not have children. That's not how God has designed it. So that would have caused them to press pause. And I don't want to really go into that one this morning, but I want to look at the second part of that verse. And I want us to press in on the second part of that verse. For it says, For this virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. That would have caused the first hearers of this prophecy to be set back on their heels and say, wait a minute. I I don't understand the virgin part, but I really don't understand how is it that God can be with us? How, How is that possible? That the creator God, the God of the universe, the God that has given us his law, the God that has shown his people his love and his provision and his power, how could this happen? How is this possible? For there were several challenges that the nation of Israel, the people of God, would have had with this verse. Because how is it that God can be with us? The three main challenges that come with this. First, Scripture teaches that God is spirit, that God is invisible. So how is it that an invisible God can become visible? How is it that a spiritual God, a God that is spirit, can can come and be with us? The second challenge is that Scripture teaches is that God is holy, meaning that in God's holiness, his infinite holiness, that he is other, that he is separate from the created. Meaning that he is so holy, he is so different, he is so perfect, he is so pure, and we are not, that there's this vast gulf that separates a holy, infinite God with a finite, sinful man. So how is it that this holiness, this holy God can come and dwell with us, be with us? The third challenge comes in that scripture teaches teaches us that God has glory, right? How is it that the glory of God can dwell among us? You see, God in his being is super intense. Whenever we see him showing up in scriptures, it's always an intense situation. It's always a scary situation, We see in scripture, too, that the expression of God's holiness is his glory. Meaning, uh, John Piper says it this way. He says that God's glory, when it goes public, it's his holiness. So God's holiness, when we get a chance to see his holiness, that becomes his glory. Right, And there, there are two kind of ways that we see this. We see, according to scripture, that God's glory, we're able to see that in creation. Like when you stand before uh, the, uh, a beautiful sunset or a beautiful sunrise and your, your breath is taken away, that's the glory of God on display where you say, wow, I can't do that. Someone greater than me has done that and I cannot. You take a step back. So there, there's a part of God's glory being on display that we see in creation. Then there's a part of his glory that we see in another experience 
That whenever we see someone in scripture seeing the glory of God, we see that person becoming undone. We see that person becoming overwhelmed. We see that person being afraid. Remember when we go back to Exodus chapter 33, when Moses asked to see the glory of God, God told him that he could not fully see it or else he would die. So instead, God showed him his backside. Or remember the time at Mount Sinai after, after the, the law has just come to Moses and his people. God begins speaking to God's people from the top of the mountain. They get a chance to experience God's glory and God's people are like, oh, Moses, make him stop. We can't take this. This is too overwhelming for us. We don't want to hear from God, but instead let us hear from you. I remember the time that Isaiah encountered God in the throne room. Remember what Isaiah says? He cried out, woe is me. So you see, we have a massive problem with this verse. When God promises that he's going to give the world a son or a child and his name will be Emmanuel, God with us, that's a deeply challenging promise. Because God is wholly separate, God is wholly other, God is wholly different than you and I. And yet he makes this promise. So the question is, how is this going to be? Well, if we look back at the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew directly connects the prophecy of Isaiah with the announcement of Jesus' birth in Matthew chapter 1, verse 22 and 23. This is what Matthew writes. He says, all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord said through the prophet Isaiah, that the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So it was Matthew's conviction, it was the conviction of God to make sure that we had this in Scripture, that in Jesus, in the person of Jesus, God was with us, and the way he was with us was to become one of us. That was God's plan. That the way in which God could be with us was through the person of Jesus. So to encounter Jesus is to encounter God. Now, some of you are like, yeah, I know that. I've heard that a million times. Listen to it in a fresh way. To encounter Jesus is to encounter God. This God that is wholly separate from you. This God that you deserve death, you deserve his justice, you deserve all kind of punishment because we have rebelled against this creator God, this God we get the chance to see in Christ. That changes everything. So how, do, how, do we, so how is God going to be with us? Through his son Christ. Well, then the second question is, well, then how can we see the glory of God? How is that possible when to see the glory of God, a person becomes undone? Well, Paul teaches in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, he says this, Let light shine out of darkness and has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So how is it that we see the glory of God? We see the glory of God in the face of Christ. When we look at Christ and we behold Christ as a person for who he is and for what he's done, we see, we get a glimpse of the glory of God. 
What an amazing truth. But that's not only uh, in later parts of the New Testament. We see that the glory of God through the person of Christ is evident not only throughout the New Testament, but it's evident in the text that we're going to look at today. For John writes in John chapter 1, verse 18, he says, No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he, Jesus Christ, has made him known. So how do we know God? We know God through knowing Jesus. Because Jesus is himself God, which we'll see in just a moment. So scripture affirms, though that God is invisible and that no one has ever actually seen him, but he goes on to say that God is known through the person of Jesus Christ. We must consider Jesus if we hope to ever see the glory of God. And so in our passage today, John teaches us two ways that we can see the glory of God through Christ. The first way that we see God through Christ is to behold the person of Jesus. Look with me in verse 14 of John chapter 1. It says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out that he was that this was he whom I said would come after me, ranks before me, because he was before me. So we're jumping into uh, the beginning of John's gospel. And John is giving us a great theological exposition before he gets into the biblical narrative and the story of Christ. This first beginning parts of John, John steps in and he gives us the theological understanding of what's going on so that we can have a mind and a heart that's prepared to actually understand all the things that Jesus is going to do. Why Jesus does the things that he does is because we have to understand the identity of who Jesus is and so we go back we jump in and if we go back to the beginning of John chapter 1 verses 1 through 3 we see this it says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God he was in the beginning with God all things were made through him and without him nothing that anything was made that was made so John's opening phrase brings us back to mind the beginning of the Bible as we see in Genesis chapter 1, that in the beginning, as creation is starting, we see that John is pulling all the way back to the beginning of creation. And we see that at, in Genesis, we see God is acting and creating through his word. Right? If you have time this morning or this afternoon, go back to Genesis chapter 1 and you can see that it's by his word all things are coming into being. And what John is doing here is he's, he's going back there and he says that God's word is both with God and God's word is God. So who is this word that he's talking about? Well, the word is his son, Jesus. So what he's saying here is that that God, in his word and his grace, there's this, they have the same essence. Because God was there, and the word was there, and the word was God, and nothing was created apart from him that was made. And so he, what John is saying is he's ba basically beginning to lay the groundwork for the Christian doctrine, the understanding of the Trinity. Meaning that we, as followers of God, believe that there's one God. 
that there's only one God that expresses himself in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And in John's introduction here, he's discussing the second person of the Trinity, which we refer to as the Son, which he calls the Word. And so what is happening here? What we see going back to verse 14 is this word that is God, that was with God, that existed with God in eternity past, that never had a beginning himself, was there at the beginning, making all things, that this God is now become flesh and dwelling among us. This is an amazing, incredible thing that the eternal word of God becomes a human being. The Latin phrase for this is the incarnation, meaning in the flesh. This is deeply profound because God now shows up in the flesh, something that you and I can see, something that you and I can relate to, something that is other than us becomes like us so that we can have an understanding of who he is, who God really is, so that we can truly see the glory of God. But the glory of God only comes through the person of Christ. And so John's proclamation here in verse 13, or 14, tells us three things about God that we should, or about Jesus that we should behold. That when we consider Christ, we should see his specialness. It should cause us to pause in our activity to ponder upon the greatness of who he is. And we see three things here about who he really is. In Jesus, God became fully human. God becomes fully human. Someone that's other than us becomes like us for us. So God became human. Meaning that in his humanity, he, take, he takes on the same challenges of the, that you and I face. You and I get tired. You and I have to sleep. You and I have to eat. You and I have aches and pains because our bodies groan because of the death that lives all around us. So in some way, Jesus took on our humanity so that he could, he could walk the same walk that you and I walk, so that he could walk through times of temptation just like you and I walk through, but Jesus walks through them perfectly. In every way that you and I fail, Jesus never failed. So he becomes the perfect human. He becomes the one that can restore what was broken in Adam and Eve. God becomes flesh. Second, we see that in Jesus, God dwelt with humanity fully, meaning that even as he comes here, he gives up his ability to be in all places at all times to be confined by a human body, meaning he could only be in one place in one time, but he came to fully be here, to dwell here, to live here, to know what it means to be human and to live with some of the limitations of humanity. So God dwells with us. And finally, we see in Jesus, God reveals his glory. In Jesus, we fully see God's glory because he is the son of the father. Now is this glory is revealed in the person of Jesus. Now here's the scary thing about that is think about Jesus' life. 
The glory of God shows up in the person of Christ and Jesus came and he lived, but not everyone perceived the glory of God in the person of Christ. As Jesus is teaching, as Jesus is preaching, as Jesus is healing, as Jesus is doing miracles, people are seeing the glory of God in the person of Christ. Or they're not actually seeing it, it's there, but they don't have eyes to perceive it. Though the glory of God is there in the face of Christ, not everyone sees it. And we see this and we go back into uh, the fourth verse of John. This is for God's glory comes through Christ, comes through his life and his light. That's what verse four says. So the glory of God comes through Jesus, through his life and through his light. Now here's the scary thing. Verse nine goes on to say, the light comes to everyone, yet they did not know him. They did not receive him or believe in him. Wow. It's possible for God to come to earth in the person of Christ, through his life and through his light. And it's possible for people to not know him, not receive him, not believe in him. How is that possible? It's possible because not everyone will see the glory of God in the face of Christ because they don't have the eyes to see. Uh, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, he says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are be, being saved, it is the power of God. Here's the truth. Until God opens the eyes of the person to be able to see the glory of God in Christ, it all is foolish. I mean, think about it. Think about it. We follow a Jewish man who lived 2,000 years ago who died on a cross. That seems foolishness. What do you mean you want to give your life over to a man who died on a cross? Don't you know that crucifixion was the worst way to die? You know, from the, from the worldly mindset, Jesus is foolish. He doesn't make sense. But when, when, your eyes are open to see the glory of God in the face of Christ, you become undone. You become overwhelmed because you see what's actually taking place on the cross, which we're gonna see in just a moment. When you're able to see what really Jesus, not only who Jesus was, but when you're able to see what Jesus did and you're really able to see it, then you are completely transformed. Jesus is really God. And he really did come full of grace and truth. And when we understand that, when our eyes are able to see that he came in grace and he truth, we understand the infinite value that is present in Christ. I'm so thankful that Jesus didn't just come in grace. Or think about that. If, if Jesus just came in grace, we would still have no hope. Though we'd be like, hey, it's okay. It's, it's okay you sin. That's all right. Jesus, Jesus says, it's okay. Just you be you. You do you. You be the best be person that you can be. That's okay. That's all God wants. 
To say that would to deny the holiness of God. Right? God, Jesus can't come just in grace. Because you and I have sinned. You and I have violated God. And without the justice of God, God would cease to exist. So Jesus had to come in grace and in truth. He had to come in truth. He had to be the truth. He had to perfectly hold these two things in tension at the same time. Meaning that you are not beyond the grace of God, but you're deathly deserving of hell. You're not beyond the grace of God, but you deserve hell. Those two things Jesus kept in tension. We're going to see that in just a moment how he kept those in complete tension. But when you see Christ for who he really is, you understand his infinite value. Because our hope and everything rests on the person of Christ. I recently heard this story that a father said to his daughter after she had graduated with honors that he was going to give her a car that he had bought many, many years ago. It was a pretty old by now, but he first tells her, he says, hey, you take this car, go down to the, uh, the, the um, used cars lot and see how much they'll give you for it. So she takes the car down to the lot and, and she comes back to her father and, and uh, she's, the father asks her, so what'd they say? Well, they said the car was pretty old, that they'd give me $1,000. He says, okay, now what I want you to do is take the car, and I want you to go down to the pawn shop and see what they say. So she takes the car down to the pawn shop, and she comes back, and uh, they have a conversation, and he says, well, what did they say? Well, they said the car's really, really old, and you can't really use it for much, so they'd give me $100. The father then says, okay, now what I want you to do is I want you to go to a car collector club, and I want you to show them this car and see what they say. And so she takes the car down to the collector club and then she comes back and he's like, so what'd they say? And she said, you know, would you not believe it? There, a guy there was offering me $160,000 for this car. And, and uh, she, he asked why and, and it's because it was a special car, the Nissan Skyline R34. Now, I'm not a car guy, but I did some research on this car and I, I realized that, that that car in America, you can't even drive it yet. It's not street legal for another few years. And so the value of this car is so exorbitant. It's $160,000 for a car that was made in 1999. I, say, I tell you that story because it's when we see the value of something, people can see the same thing and ascribe it different value. People can look at Jesus and they can say to themselves, you know what, he was just a good prophet. He had a lot of good things to say. You're not ascribing him the value that he really is. Others may say, yeah, yeah, Jesus is, I, I believe that he's from God. I believe that he was birthed from God to be a, a special person and do a great thing. But he didn't resurrect from the dead. I don't believe that then you're ascribing him some value, but you're missing out. But then there are those that look at Christ and behold Christ for who he is, the son of God, God himself come to earth for us in our form, taking on our infirmities so that he could save us from our sins. When you see Christ as that, he is of infinite value. The identity of Christ is foundational to the Christian faith. Without God, without Jesus being God and man, we have no hope. 
There are many out there that, that can claim that, God, that Jesus is an important person. But that when you look at God or you look at Christ in a different way, then scripture reveals him, then you're never really gonna see the glory of God. For the Jehovah's Witness, they look at Christ and they see Christ as a created being. If Christ was created, then we don't have to bow to him because we're not to bow to the creation, right? We're to bow to the creator. And so to the Jehovah's Witness, they believe that there is one God, but they're still missing it on the person of Christ. The Jewish person sees one God, but they don't see Christ as the Messiah come to save the world from their sins. The Muslim understands that there's one God, but they don't see Christ as the savior of the world. It's not until you look at the face of Christ and you see the glory of God that you are transformed. So how is it that you behold the person of Christ? We behold the person of Christ by getting to know him. How do we get to know him? We read about him in God's word. Right? You can stay even in the book of John. Just stay in the book of John. You, don't, you want to behold the, the person of uh, the glory of God and the person of Christ? Read the book of John. You start off and you see, like I said, you, you start off with the theological and then you move into the practical. When you see Jesus, who is God, come to earth to save us, when you see him healing and you see him teaching and you see him performing miracles and you see him walking and you see him go to a cross and you see him die, for the sins of the world, and you see him come back to life again, that's when you behold him in his greatness. That's when you behold him for who he really is because of what he's done. To behold him is to know him. Second, if we hope to see the glory of God in Christ, we must behold the work of Jesus. Look with me in verse 16. It says, for from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is the Father's side. He has made him known. So we see that through Jesus, the fullness of all that we have received is grace upon grace grace. Jesus comes to earth not because we deserved it. Jesus comes to earth not because of your value as a human being in the the form of what you've done, but because of who you are. You are loved by God the Father, and what motivates that is this fullness of his grace. Now think about that. You're talking about an infinite God having the fullness of his grace. Now think about how much grace that is. The fullness of his grace is grace upon grace, meaning that there's never-endingness to his grace, that there's an infinite amount of grace that comes through the person of Christ. For in Christ is the fullness of grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. That it comes not because of what you've earned, but comes from him that which you do not deserve. You get what you don't deserve, which is grace upon grace upon grace upon grace through the person of Christ. Yes, thank you, Jesus. 
for the grace that we do not deserve. It's this fullness of grace upon grace. And then John goes on to explain that, that God's not doing something wholly different here, but God is fully unfolding, continue to unfold his plan to redeem us from the moment of the fall. So he goes back and he says, for the law was given through Moses. Meaning once again that we know that the law came through Moses, which brought revelation of God and the way that his people are to live in a covenant relationship with God. So the law comes through Moses. So we see through it God's standard for our lives. And the law comes in not to save us, but shows us how desperately we are in need of being saved. Right? How are you guys doing in living out the Ten Commandments? You break them every single day. Right? So the law is there not to save you so that you live out them so that you can earn salvation before God. No, the law came to show us how desperate we are for a savior. And so the law comes through Moses and now John goes on to say, grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. Right, grace and truth, remember that tension? Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace, but there's this law thing over here that says that you are guilty and you deserve death because you have violated the commands of God in come to complete intersection in the person of Christ. Where Jesus shows us the unending grace of God while also bearing the justice of God at the same time. How does he do it? Well, God's justice, God's unlimited grace comes through the cross. God's unlimited justice is satisfied through the cross. It's only through the cross that we know. For on the cross, he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. What John is trying to, to do with us and for us here is point us to the gospel. The gospel that is simply this that John will write in chapter 3, 16. For God so loved the world, his grace and his grace and his grace, that he gave his, his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Going down to verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Grace and truth in complete perfect tension so Jesus comes to show us not only who God is but that his love is for us that through Christ a relationship with God can be restored but verse 12 gives us the sober reminder John chapter 1 verse 12 but to all who did receive him who believed in his name he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. There's this damaging trend that's going around the world today where people are saying, or people are believing that everyone is a child of God. Not everyone is a child of God. Not every person, every person's been made in the image of God, but not everyone is a child of God. According to John here, it's to those that received him who believed in his name. 
You have to receive Jesus and believe in his name. Then, according to verse 12, he gives them the right to become children of God. So the only people that are children of God are those that have believed in Jesus and received him. If you haven't believed him nor received him, you're not, no, you're not a child of God. So the truth is, as we bring this to a close, people have no hope of seeing the glory of God in Christ unless they hear about Jesus. Do you believe that? Do you live your life as though that is true? The only way that people are going to be able to see the glory of God is through understanding and hearing about Jesus. For when you see the glory of God in the face of Christ, you can't be unchanged from that. Like that changes you so greatly that from that moment you're different forever. Have you experienced that? Like, have you experienced the transformingness of where at one point in your life, you're like, I got no time for Jesus. But then, but then the Lord in his grace pulls back the blinders from your eyes and you see the grace upon grace upon grace in the person of Christ and you're undone. And in an instant, you're transformed forever. That is someone who has been able to see the glory of God in the face of Christ. But there are many, many, many in our world that have not come to that place. There are a lot of people that have knowledge about Jesus, that understand who he is and have an understanding of of what he's done. But their eyes have not been opened to the fact that the glory of God It can be seen and experienced in the person of Christ. If you've seen the glory of God, your eyes have been opened, and you've experienced the grace upon grace, then what that does is it wells up gratitude in us because we remember what Christ has done for us. And when we understand that, it's our opportunity, it's our responsibility to share it with others. Right? I'm, not, I'm not talking about like going door to door, knocking on people's doors and saying, hey, do you know Jesus? I mean, you could do that. That would be great if you did that. But are you, is Jesus on your tongue at your workplace? Is Jesus on your tongue in your home? Is Jesus on your tongue in your marriage? Are you talking about him? Are you living like him? Are you seeking to die to yourself every single day so that you can be more like Jesus and less like yourself? Jesus didn't just save you so that you can sit in your chair and sit there and soak and sour and wait until you go to heaven. He saved you so that you could communicate to others the glory of God in the face of Christ. This isn't rocket science. This is what I encourage you to do, man. This is a Christmas season, and during the Christmas season and in the Easter season, for some reason, God in his, his grace stirs the hearts of people. I would encourage you this season to call up a friend, call up a loved one, someone that you don't know where they stand in their salvation and say, hey, can I take you to lunch? And can I share with you just for 15 minutes what's the most important thing in my life? Like be so bold. And you're like, well, pastor, I don't know what to say. All you gotta say is John 3.16, okay? How many of you guys know John 3.16? 
For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's the gospel. Okay, this is what you say. You say, I want to share with you something from God's word. You read it and you say, I want to teach you three things about this. Three things. You can write this down. This is super simple. First, in John 3, 16, we see one important truth that God loved. God loves, right? Who does God love? God loves the world, right? God loves everyone. But you also have to understand that we don't love God. Nobody loves God. And so there becomes a gulf between us, right? So God loves. Second thing, what does God do? God gave. What did God give? Jesus, to be the perfect sacrifice, who was fully God and fully man, came to earth to live the life that we couldn't and died the death that you and I deserved. But the third part about that is we receive. So God loved, God gave, we receive. You can know that God loved and God gave, but that's not gonna change anything. It's not until you receive him that you believe in him. Just like John says, you have to receive him or you have to believe him and receive him. Then you become a child of God. That means a change in your disposition, meaning that you give your life over to him. That's the gospel. God loved, God gave, we received. Do you think you can share that? All you need to do is share the word, right? It's the spirit's work that pulls back the scales from people's eyes. You don't do that. You simply communicate the glory of God in the face of Christ and God does the rest. 